0: Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill. And I'm Ken Jacobson. Today we're talking to Cudi Simmons and Chike Oza, directors of the three-part Netflix docuseries Genius, a Kanye Trilogy. The series had its world premiere at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. Cudi and Chike first collaborated on Through the Wire, which was the chart-topping music video that catapulted the career of Kanye West as well as set Kudi and Chike on the way toward working with many other prominent artists. Since then, they've produced and directed several award-winning documentaries, including the ESPN 30 for 30, Benji, which premiered in 2012, Muhammad Ali, The People's Champ, and A Kid from Coney Island, about NBA star Stefan Marbury, which premiered at the 2019 Tribeca Film Festival, and is available on Netflix.
1: I was watching this documentary over the weekend, and I was traveling all around the Bay Area for soccer matches with one of my sons. We were playing a lot of Kanye West and a lot of Jay-Z. We were talking, and I was asked my son if he could recognize guest rappers on Jay-Z's The Blueprint, which Kanye helped produce. Eminem jumps on the mic for a little bit, and he said to me, yeah, I can, but Kanye is not a rapper. He's an icon. And I think that sense of Kanye is transcending the normal categories of artistry, the normal categories of celebrity, you can feel that in this film as he runs around New York as a young man trying to get attention from anybody, trying to get a record deal from Rockefeller and other outfits. It just seems now impossible that they couldn't have recognized his genius. And I think you have a sense that this documentary transcends its form as well.
0: Yeah, this film really caught me by surprise. It is so intimate because cootie simmons turned the camera on and started documenting kanye from very early on in his career before anyone had any idea that kanye would become kanye you know he talks about hoop dreams as an influence and it's true he's there from the beginning and he's also there as a friend And that gives this a unique perspective. Two things are happening. As you see Kanye blowing up and becoming this superstar, you're still getting this very intimate view of somebody who is a friend of the filmmakers. And certainly a story point is what happens when he becomes a star and Cootie is not always there. And Cootie is not always invited to continue filming with Kanye. There's about a six year gap where he didn't film at all. But they do end up coming back together again as friends and collaborators. And I just think that intimacy is really what makes it so amazing. And also, there's just so many great individual scenes that illuminate the rap world in ways that we just haven't seen before.
1: I really like the way they follow certain threads. So early on, Kanye gives a very discursive interview to a journalist, and then we see how One of his fellow Chicago rappers responds to that interview or another interview. It's hard to tell. And and not only disses Kanye during an interview, but actually writes a whole song. And then we see the two of them meet. We're maybe a little nervous when this confrontation takes place. The other young man, you know, he stands by what he said, but he's trying to be conciliatory. It's a nice moment. And it really shows you how sort of some of the tropes of rap and hip hop play out in the real world. They're not quite what you
0: might expect. It's such a collaborative world. The number of times like Kanye just goes into a studio and ends up recording with another artist, whether it's Jay-Z, Mos Def, whoever it is, it's amazing. These creative people just work magic together. It's not just the individual who's achieving it becomes a collaborative creative process. And of course, this is a collaboration between two filmmakers, Kudi and Chike. And so I think they bring that spirit to the film as well. If you like this conversation, please do follow us,
1: comment on an episode, share us with somebody else. It really does help
0: people find us. Coming up, our interview with Kudi Simmons and Chike Oza, the directors of Genius, a Kanye trilogy. Cootie Simmons and Chike Oza, welcome to Top Docs. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Today. Yeah. It's great to have you here and congratulations on the film. It's a major achievement. Thank
2: you so much.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Cootie, can you please give us a brief log line of the film?
2: Genius is a faith based film about two people that took a journey from Chicago to New York, followed a passion, and believed in each other and, and watched each other succeed.
3: The root of our film is about two people walking in faith to accomplish their goals. It's really a faith-based film, Jesus. That was our intention behind it. We wanted to inspire others to be able to utilize faith to overcome fear and be able to use faith to conquer any adversities that people might face in moving and decided to take that step to move in their passion. Why do you both
0: make documentary films?
3: My love for making a doc did come from
2: my hoop dreams. You know, just seeing that story. I'm from born and raised Chicago. My father's from the west side and lived right around the corner from where Arthur A.G. and his family actually lived. I never met him back then, at least. I know him now. That film is what really made me want to document things. And also, we were doing Channel Zero, a public access show that we were actually documenting, but I wasn't behind the camera, I was in front of the camera. And when I seen that movie, that's when I decided to go ahead and, and document Kanye and just document any and everything, to tell you the truth, that started my love for documentaries.
3: To me, it was more functionality as opposed to passion. In a sense, so, you know, my passion was music videos, and then and Cootie actually got me excited about the possibility of doing feature films. That was more his passion was like to do features. So it really came out of a struggle for us to jump from music videos to features and having trouble in Hollywood trying to sell ourselves without ever doing a, a feature film because people doubted our ability to tell a sort of long form story. So Doc's for us was the low hanging fruit I feel at the time with the resources to be able to show that we could actually, in fact, tell long story, long-form storytelling in pursuits of proving ourselves in order to be able to do feature films.
0: Low-hanging fruit, and you can finish them in just a few months, right? Hell yeah, right. That's <laughs> not true, right, exactly.
3: That's <laughs> not true, And it's definitely not the low-hanging fruit once, you know, I say that because it seemingly feels like it is, but if with anything you realize, it's work. It's a lot of hard work, and you still have to find an entry point that you're passionate about. You know, at least for Cootie, I feel like, it was destined. He was doing documenting before I think he even realized what a documentary probably was. He was already doing it. And then just to see that in the film, he adapted that from his father and his mother, who were always documenting all the time. He was able to turn it into a, a high-level profession.
2: It wasn't easy to, to, to do a documentary. It wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, we're just going to take this, like G.K. said, low-hanging fruit, and that's what we're going to do. And no, we, we had a script that we were trying to get done, but we was first time directors, by being first time directors, wouldn't no studio take a chance on us with the screenplay for Benji, which was our ESPN 30 for 30. But long story short, we started a a company and a website called Creative Control And our website started blowing up because we were shooting with digital cameras and we were shooting everything and putting it on our site. We got attention around the world and that people will put our logo on their piece that's similar to ours from, you know, Europe, from Africa and send it to us. And when ESPN seen what we were doing, they were starting the Shadow League and they wanted to meet with us. And when Keith Cleanscale was a head of content at the time, met with us, we had that Benji story and we knew they had the 30 for 30. So we was like, oh, we got this story on Ben Wilson. He said, man, a bunch of people asked us about this. I tried to pitch this doc to us, but what y'all got different. And by me being from Chicago on a story that we we told him and we had did all of our research by creating the script and the movie that we got greenlit to do that 30 for 30. So it wasn't like we just, oh, let's do a 30 for 30. It didn't happen that way.
3: When I say long hanging fruit, I really mean resource wise. Like it just feels like Once you find the story, it just seems like it might be easier to tackle uh, a doc in the sense of just the resources you have to shoot it because you could really just shoot a doc on your phone. Not that you couldn't shoot a movie on your phone, but just some of the movie concerts we're thinking of didn't probably match the resources that we had at the time. But the docs, it just seems like you could achieve it financially.
0: Yeah, totally understand the barrier to entry. is is Right, exactly. Exactly. You referenced Hoop Dreams, Cootie, and... It is mentioned in the film that you were inspired by Hoop Dreams to do a documentary about Kanye to see how far his dreams would take him. I did want to delve just a bit into this influence because we are a show about documentary film and I think a lot of our listeners would love to hear more about how Hoop Dreams specifically inspired you and also how genius and the creative paths you took differ in crucial ways from Hoop Dreams.
2: So when it came to hoop dreams what inspired me most was the patience that Steve James had to document these two players. He started when they was in grammar school to see if they would make it to the NBA and I'm like that I, you know I didn't know how much it cost to do it or anything. I just knew that that was amazing and he stuck with it to the very end and it wasn't a happy ending but then when I seen Kaye, I was like no, I see him winning. I see me documenting and and I believed in him, but I seen other people didn't really believe in him and everybody was trying to put him in this box as this producer, but I believed so hard that he was going to make it. Then I'm like, this is the perfect doc. This is the doc that's going, that he will make it. And I was like in front of the camera too. So I knew, I didn't know, but knew that I would be a character in, <laughs> in the doc. That's why I would even flip the camera to me at times and say things, but I was a character, period. But it worked out and I'm and I'm happy.
3: And that was the major difference was what Cootie just alluded to, as far as being a character. With Hoop Dreams, they were very much a fly on the wall and let the storytelling completely unravel in front of them and they didn't have a hand in the fight, so to speak. Where Cootie didn't necessarily have a hand in the fight as a director, but he had very much a hand in the fight as a friend. And that's the difference because his character as a friend allowed him to interact within the story. And his interaction has an effect on the story. If Steve James was a friend in Hoop Dreams to the family, he probably would have turned their lights on when their lights
0: went off, if he had the resources to, you know what I'm saying? You're a friend of Kanye's, but you're also a fellow creative. Mm -hmm. And so the film does become a film about two creatives. One, a musician, Kanye. The other, a filmmaker, you, Cootie. And both of you are pursuing your dreams to make it in your respective fields. In fact, at the end of act two, you say motivated by faith, we climbed together. hmm So why was it important to you to establish that this is a film, not just documenting one career, but two? I mean, I say it was a collective effort between Cheeke and J. Ivy, uh, the writer and
2: our editors, Max Allman and Jason Harper. And we always say Jesus direct. So it was inevitable that this was the direction that we were taking. I couldn't have did it. I couldn't have did that. I couldn't. We didn't have a creative director. You know what I mean? We we wasn't actors. Everything was happening was real in real time, and the story just told itself. We like I say, we say God writing, and Jesus directs. You know, I give all credit to that. But it was definitely a collective effort between the team that God chose to tell the story.
3: And we always say this film encapsulates all of the projects and the the studying of all the work that precedes this film. Because if we would have made this just, say, eight years prior, our understanding of story wouldn't be as strong as it is now, because we've learned more about story and our efforts to start learning how to write screenplays. And so just being able to structure story and being able to look at 300 hours of footage, decide off the story that actually could be captured, what's the best story to bring to life and extrapolate from these 300 hours. And identify, like, what are the goals that are there? Everything's there. There's, a, there's so much information there. You're really deconstructing what is there to provide the audience with a streamlined, best view and experience of a clear goal that your protagonists are trying to achieve or not achieve. So I feel like everything we've done to this point is practice for this. And I really feel like we was able to throw everything. We had the resources. We had the right team to be able to like really put on screen what I feel represents our skill sets of what we've learned to this point.
0: Yes, structure and storytelling, I think, are rigorously applied in the making of this film. One of the things that struck me right away in terms of structure was the opening minute of the film, which starts in the Dominican Republic in 2020, and soon it becomes clear that you're starting basically at the end of the story before rewinding back to the beginning, and then you're going to follow a more or less chronological approach that's eventually going to get us back to where we started. Why did you decide to structure the film this way and locate us, the audience in this particular time and place? I started with
2: just saying that we had a bunch of different ways. We were starting it and, just, and we felt like this was the, the best way to come in. Cause we actually had a, the genius when Ryan Fest was saying, geez, we started the one that way before. And I think it was Max, uh, not even think, Max, our editor, who, um, well, I mean, it was such a a cooperative effort to make this movie that I can't even say who actually was like, yo, let's put (laughs) this at the beginning because it made more sense.
3: I remember because we started, we tossed and turned so many different, you know, and there's also notes that came from Netflix and from time that were amazing. And I think it was a collection of all of that. not even so much about story, but it's also about thinking about your audience and thinking about like the vantage point that they're coming in from, the context. And we wanted to make it clear because we're talking about something that's spanning so many years that they would know over 21 years, we're eventually going to get somewhere very current. So, because if we started with footage of Cody was talking about, that's still several years, you know what I mean? So I feel like if we brought you in something very current, then it was just make it more exciting to know, like, we're going to catch you up to this very current right now space, but we're also going to go back twenty some odd years.
0: Obviously, this is a highly collaborative effort, as are most films. But can you tell us a bit about this incredible creative partnership between Kuti and Chike?
2: Well, I first met Chike at MTV. They was doing You Here first, and and Yasmin, the producer, Yasmin Richards, she took me around to meet people, creative people at MTV, and Chike was one of the first that I met and I seen how talented he was.
3: I was a junior designer there and I packaged the shows. So I had majored from Savannah College of Art and Design and Motion Graphics, but I was really at MTV because I wanted to do music videos and I felt like I would meet an artist at MTV and go on to make music videos, which ironically is what happened because I, I met Cody and Kanye and we did Through the Wire was our first video. I feel like for Kuti and I, you know, we really both highly respect each other's talents and recognize what each other's strengths are. And we have ultimate respect for each other's strengths. Kuti, having a background in comedy, his instincts when it comes to timing and storytelling, they're insane. Like, they're incredible. Like, he can make a decision in a film. He can see things in a cut that have a domino effect from the first act that could really make an effect on the third act, and he sees it instantly. He'll make decisions that can alter your entire film. You know what I'm saying? So like we did Kid from Coney Island, we had a rough cut to show Nina, the executive producer, and the day before it was due, he was like, let's take out Stefan Marbury out the entire film and not introduce him into the third act. That's a major choice that you have to really see how that's gonna play out. And that was the best decision that greatly affected the impact of that film. And
0: Cootie, does Chike bring anything to this partnership? <laughs>
2: yeah, nah, I just did, man. <laughs> Chike brings so much to it. Chike, with the art school, so as far as typography and as far as like the look and, and actually the sound of music, he, he paid attention to all of those details and he understands what brings out emotion as far as musically. When it came to us, we like brothers too. You know what I mean? So even like when we travel, it's perfect that it's both of us going to Africa instead of just me as a director by myself doing something. Now I got. Somebody that I can share memories and share stories with, and and we can kick it and have fun together. But yet, um, when it comes to our talent, we just understand our, the strength and, and vice versa. I understand what looks good. You know what I mean? So Chiquette showed me something. I'm like, well, that looked good. And then vice versa. We work great together.
0: Let's go back to the beginning and to Chicago. Much of the early footage in this film is courtesy of the show Cootie that you worked on in the late 90s called Channel Zero. Mm-hmm. First as host, and then behind the camera. Can you briefly just remind us what Channel Zero was and why it's so important to this documentary?
2: But Channel Zero was a show that this guy, Danny Sorge, who was a barber, he had a camera. And he said, man, I'm starting this show. I got my producing badge to do public access we should go interview people outside of concerts and then ask them about the artists and all. And I was like, nah. I said, let's interview the people outside and let's actually go into the concert. But we never really had credentials. So we would sneak in the concert. We would film ourselves sneaking in and whatever we recorded, we would air. So like, I remember mean, Buster Rhymes came out his dressing room and, and pretty much cursed us out because we had no bass to really be back there. <laughs> And we aired that with something you would be embarrassed to air. We, we aired and it was like one of our best shows. And so it was like a raw uncut hip hop show. It was a montage. It was the YouTube before YouTube, the world star before world star was us. We would show fights. We would just anything we documented, but the way Danny Sorge would put things together. It was like art. It was a montage of different clips. The whole thing towards the end of our one-hour episode would actually tell a story. It'd be a wild one hour, but at the very end, we'd give you a message, something that you can learn from and and be inspired by.
0: Chicago, and specifically the Chicago hip-hop and rap scenes, it's a really important character in the story. Chicago rappers seem to be a pretty tight group overall, and one of the things that unites this whole scene is that everyone's trying to overcome this barrier of not being in the center of the rap world, which was really dominated by the, the East and West coasts. Can you talk about this sense of pride and brotherhood that you all had in Chicago and how it propelled Kanye and others, including yourself?
2: Well, you know, Chicago was a house music city. Back in the 80s, early 90s, was house music all the way up, really up until now. You'll go to a, a party and they playing house music. Terry Hunter and all the big DJs that's what they played. Once hip hop emerged, then it was like this guy, Pink House, he had an actual college radio station and he would play hip hop. And then next thing we know, there was Common and Twister. And Chicago, a real segregated city, too. You know what I'm saying? We segregated by race, by even gangs, and you got the West Side and, and the South Side, so we segregated within that. It wasn't until hip-hop that really brought us all all together. You had the West Side was Twister and Do or Die, and then South Side was Common, but there was no opportunity in Chicago. It wasn't no Def Jam records, nothing, so you did have to move out. Common moved out, and people were mad at Common for moving, To New York, you could have did it here, but he couldn't have did it. And then Kanye had to move, and I had to move. We just went to where opportunities were, and that even made it stronger, too. So when you go to another city, you really bond. We were all from Chicago. Yeah, you from this gang, you in this gang, or you from that side of town. But when we're in one spot that's outside of Chicago, we really connect.
0: In the film, Cootie, you say we had filmed a lot of artists, but there was just something different about Kanye. Hearing his rhyme, seeing his confidence, there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to be a star. And then much later in act three, you say, back when I first interviewed Kanye in 1998 for Channel Zero, I knew he was destined for greatness. Mm-hmm. You, you reference his rhymes and his confidence, but what else did you see in Kanye that eliminated any doubt in your mind that this was the guy, a future star?
2: He, he was not scared. That was he, was, he wasn't scared. When I seen him at the Jermaine Dupri party the first time, I knew who he was because he would come in a barbershop and play these beats and he just wanted to play it for us. But they were excellent tracks. I heard Ace of the Izzo in this barbershop from this young. He was probably like, 17, 18 then, and then when I finally got around him and then heard how he rhymed and he just loved a camera, that's when I really like, okay. It, it, it was a scene that we didn't have in that I actually filmed, but I filmed with this guy, John Bellamy's camera. We couldn't get the footage, but he performed with the Go-Getters and that was the light bulb hit like, whoa. He was up there with GLC and Timmy G was super talented, and he stood out, and he did the beat. I'm like, wait a minute. But we didn't. couldn't find the footage, so we couldn't go into that part. (laughs) But, (laughs) But that was it, though.
0: Pretty early on in the film, the visual grammar is established, as well as your storytelling approach. One of the more interesting aspects, I think, of your approach is that the film, for me at least, is defined almost as much by what it doesn't do as much as for what it does do. So, for example, there's no sit-down interview with Kanye or anyone else for that matter. You don't have any cultural critics. There's no Todd Boyd, a.k.a. the notorious Ph.D., <laughs> who's in so many docs. No knock on Todd Boyd, but he's not in here. You don't have any cultural critics. You barely touch on Kanye's marriage to Kim Kardashian. Ironically, this also doesn't even seem like a film that's that much focused on startup. So, again, it's like all these things that it's not partly defines what it is. Can you talk about the creative rules or guideposts that you used in putting the film together?
2: We wasn't going to put any words in Kanye's mouth as far as the narration. Like, Kanye thought this, or it, you know, that was a rule that, that mm-hmm. was happening.
3: It definitely had to be, Kuti had to be present. So it was where he was actually in spaces that he was filming, so you don't see any of the Kim Kardashian stuff because he wasn't physically there. You know, it was at a time when he just wasn't there. It's truly just a depiction of his experience with Kanye and, and Cootie's personal journey alongside Kanye. We did initially flirt with the idea of filming Kanye. Filming it like Andy Warhol style, like some of the screen tests that he shot. And so he was going to borrow that similar kind of black and white eight millimeter aesthetic. But uh, real intimate, kind of get Cootie one-on-one with him. Because Cootie just has a very, one of their relationship, but even outside of relationship, Cootie's just, he creates a space as a person for you to be very vulnerable with him. An intimate conversation we thought could be great to, you know, harness as a backbone of the story. But I'm glad we didn't go that direction because I feel like the way we approached it, I feel like you're along this journey with Cootie. You know what I mean? And it makes it feel very much more cinematic that way, like a movie as opposed to a traditional documentary. And then
2: I knew all the footage as well. We wanted it to be a film. We didn't want it to be a, that's why we call it a a Kanye kind of trilogy. Cause we was looking at it in that. And I knew I had all the footage to do it. <laughs> Cause I wouldn't like, I thought I am something like, oh, this is perfect. Oh, this is perfect.
3: And that, then a trilogy also perfect. symbolizes just the undertone of spirituality and Christianity. Everything you see, Every second on the screen there's a is intentional. There's intent. There's a high level of conversation that we're having behind it. You know, we're going down rabbit holes of why we're putting in certain things at what time and what we're taking out and what's the context. So there's a lot of stuff that's not on screen that's very symbolic that you can feel just by how we just rolled it out or like the name, why we called it genius and why we spelled it the way we spelled it.
0: Yeah, it all feels very intentional and it's both intimate and expansive, which is a really Tough thing to to get both of those in place. One of those aspects, and you just touched on it, Chike, that I think makes the film pretty unique in the history of documentary is that Cootie, you are making numerous references throughout to God. You talk about his influence on you, both in terms of your faith and on you as a director. This certainly feels extremely intimate, honest, and genuine, but again, it's just not something that's seen or done very often in documentary. Can you talk about the decision to reference God in the film?
2: Like you say, I I was doing that throughout the film. One of the first songs that I did hear from Kanye was Jesus' Walks. And me coming up in Chicago and being like, I'm the only boy of three sisters. My mother used to always tell me that Jesus was the son of God. So when I was little, I understood that. I would pray to God, but I would kick it with Jesus. That was my thing. And then coming up in the hood of Chicago, I had guns to my head. Not even being in the gang or not, you're going to get approached. And every time somebody would save me, the gun didn't go off when he shot it at me and it didn't go off. So I always credited Jesus. That was my homie. I'm like, Jesus, thank you. Mind you, that was something that that was, you know, I guess... Are you religious? Or are, you a, are you a nerd? What you talking about, Jesus? You know, it wasn't the, the coolest thing to say or do, but to me, it was because Jesus, I felt, was protecting me. So even me, even me meeting Cayenne Chique, I credit Jesus and I thank him for that. Every video, and whatever we do, whatever, all of our things would be, it was like we want a sunny day and it's raining, then we understand. Oh, that's God telling us we need to have a, a rainy day for this video, and it'd be the best thing ever. And He would always do that for us. God would always make it better than we can even imagine. We always say, "Don't no, you can't let your imagination get in the way of God's manifestation." And it always happened that way. It was impossible not to not to talk about
0: God because He wasn't gonna have it. God wasn't gonna have it. There's so many great scenes in this movie, in this trilogy. After you follow Kanye to New York, there are a number of scenes that take place in and around the Rockefeller offices. One of the rap labels that he's trying to get signed by and ultimately does. There's this one great scene where Kanye and his friends bum rush the Rockefeller offices and you're there filming. Kanye goes office to office and plays one of his tracks for whoever will listen. He just goes right up to the CD player in in each office, takes out whatever's on there, and puts in his own CD. I wanted to ask you what it was like to be there to film that scene. I was just happy to be going to Def Jam offices.
2: Oh, we could we might run into Jay Z, we might run into Damon Dash, you know. But I was really happy to just to be there. In retrospect, looking at what happened, I didn't think that people was going to treat them like the way they treated them. And I could see why they might have treated because we was like bum rushing off. But then we didn't care what she was doing. when Kae was putting the CD in and like, you hear this? Like, you can't even tell me no. And that's one thing about Kai too. too. He, he, You can't even tell him no. You know, he's going to make it happen. We just believe so much in each other. I just believe so much in ka and the music that I didn't even pay attention to them like that. Like, oh man, we, we might be over with. We can forget about it. I knew it was going to work. That's how much faith that I had, and I know Kanye had the same faith.
0: There's also a great kind of ending beat to that scene where a guy passes him in the hall, and uh, he says, "Make sure I get my beats, man." Right. <laughs> which just encapsulates the struggle that he's got to be taken seriously as a rapper.
2: Yeah, God wrote that. <laughs> like all of it. Like I say, that's why I always credit Christ and, and the Lord because you could not even write that. Like,
0: There's a great running bit in the film with Kanye and his retainers, which also, you know, obviously resonates later story-wise with this car accident and his job being wired shut and the song through the wire in the video. Were his retainers something that Kanye was known for at the time? Were you surprised when you went back through the footage and discovered how often these appear on camera?
2: Oh no, no! See, that's where me being a comedian comes in. You know, it's callback. When comedians do the callback, it always works. So I knew that those retainers were going to be a callback for the movie. That's why I was film sitting there, and it was just amazing how God had these people just actually, definitely Scarface gave us exactly what we needed. But then when you think about it, it went from retainers to wires that actually blew. Kaye up. He had a car accident and had to get the wires in his mouth. You can't write this. You cannot write this. A human can't, a man can't, put it like that.
3: But the fact that Kudie was cognizant enough to make this an image system throughout the process is, like I said, that, that's why one of his skill sets, he's just instinctually, you know what I'm saying? He's amazing with the storytelling. He was capturing these pieces and identified that before he even really knew the final piece that he was going to put together, but he knew it was going to be important. There's a piece of him that I already saw this whole documentary take, like from beginning to end, in his mind, subconsciously.
0: Another thing you obviously saw from early on is the importance of Donda, Kanye's mother, to him and, and to this film, and also to you. It takes about 50 minutes into episode one before were introduced to Donda, but then she just plays this central role for the rest of the way, really, even when she's no longer in the film. Kuti, you say about Donda's impact on Kanye, she had this special way of lifting his spirits, giving him the love and guidance he needed. It was easy to see that the confidence he had in himself was because of the confidence Donda had in him. To understand Kanye, you need to understand where his confidence comes from. And I think it's eye-opening to see that it doesn't just come out of his own self-belief, but from Donda. It's, it's an act of love. It's a gift. Can you talk about the importance of Donda in telling the Kanye West story?
2: First, it wouldn't be a Kanye West story without Donda, because it wouldn't be a Kanye West. <laughs> but uh, meeting Donda first on camera when I met her at the right time, and then when you look at the movie and the arcs, is that the right time to meet Nanda in our movie at that moment? Because you had to fall in love with Kaya and see the struggles and then to see this person that he got his first his belief from. And then the person that encouraged him to do what he want to do, you know, like she was a professor at a college that was like, oh, you want to do hip hop? Okay, I'm going to buy you an MP3. Okay, I'm going to do this for you. You're going to, you know, most... Parents would be like, oh, no, you got to go to college. You got to do this. Even for the album, The College Dropout and Telly, he got the college dropout. She ain't wasn't too happy about that because she spent so much time to to get to where she was. One of those people that you meet and feel like, y'all been knowing you forever. So that's how she embraced all of us. And then the same, like, too, like, I, that's why, I, like, and I know you're probably like, okay, here you go again. But that's why I say Jesus Direct because, she came in at every right moment. We wasn't called. It was like, she came again after he was going through something. Here she is on my camera. Of course, he was steady calling us. She was steady coming to see him. I just wasn't there. But it was just perfect for, for what I captured. And then you see when she made a transition, just the what happened. It was the opposite of what you might have seen Kanye before. It was also fame as well. But at the moment that he got famous... She made a transition, and I know that I had to, like, mentally do something to to Kanye. Yeah, and Chica, you explained it so well, too, when you just talk about you and your mom's relationship.
3: To understand Kanye definitely is to understand his relationship with his mother and, and being able to have a family member pour so much into you. My mother was the same way. My mother and my aunt, for that matter. But, like, a lot of people don't have somebody that goes above and beyond with the mother is expected to do as a single mother as well she was his biggest cheerleader why I'm saying the importance that my mother is my biggest cheerleader cheerleader my aunt is my biggest cheerleader if anything were to happen to them even like at now I'm an adult you know what I'm saying I understand that they're up in age it would still it would just rock me so I can only imagine as in your late 20s you're still a child like to lose the biggest anchor in your life and to not necessarily have any other anchors to replace that anchor. Where do you go with that?
0: And then when we see in the movie, you losing your father, Cootie, there's obviously a strong connection there as well. That was one of those days where, you know, this unexpected, but I think by the time I
2: lost my pops, I was definitely more mature and just started really understanding like depth. When my grandmother passed, when I was younger, and I'm in the streets, I'm not doing things the right way, Just everything was going bad, and then when she made her transition, everything started happening good, and I'm like, why is everything happening good, and then it was like, God told me that, oh, that's because your grandmother up here telling me to do this and do that for you, you know, it was like, oh, wait, when my father made his transition, I thought about all the things that made sense, actually, for that to happen, which is, which you just never know is inevitable for sure that, that we all going to lead the earth, but spirit, our spirits never die. And I noticed how we did his 70th birthday party that year. And then I noticed how common father passed away right before he called me about coming to do the office. I never talked to common before on the phone at all. And then I heard his father pass. I'm like, dad, it's common father. father. And if y'all know anything about common, all his first albums, he had his father talk on it and give us advice. So I didn't know his father personally, but I knew his father from the records. When I found that out, two days later, Common calls me like, yo, I want you to do the office." I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I heard about your father. Man, Sorry to hear about that. And I go to Chicago to do it. And it's the last time I actually see my father. I got to feel my father and talk and hug my father because other than that, it was on FaceTime when he got sick. So. When he transitioned, it was first a a certain type of peace that came around me. Like, now I'm like, oh, my father, now he's in heaven with my grandmother actually going to help my spirit in this world. So I I took it different with my father because I'm like, his spirit didn't die. His body left the earth. His body was deteriorating anyway through like diabetes and all the things that he was going through. So now I'm like, he at peace right now, and I know he's always going to be with me.
0: I want to take us back to the opening of the film, which is in the Dominican Republic in 2020, which we then get back to at the end of the film. And from a documentary filmmaker perspective, it's really crucial because this is a moment where you, Cootie, make the decision to turn off the camera. So much of the early part of the movie is you going into spaces and always having the camera on and fighting to have your camera present at all these moments. And here's the opposite situation. You're choosing, no, I'm not going to film.
2: When I went back that, at that time, it was a certain way that Kanye, you know, his energy on my cameras was always a certain way. And when I went there. First, it was like a thing of the, they call the episodes when they call the mental health or whatever. So it was like being told to me like, oh, Kanye might be going through some, you know, take no alcohol out. He can't be drinking right now. He's taking medicine or whatever. So I, I knew that part. But everything was cool. We had our meeting. He seen the sizzle. He loved it. And then the guy, Dave Barry and Mike Novakras. it was Mike Novakras' house, I actually knew Dave Barry. Um, Me and Chike, this is a good friend of ours. He actually owns Chike' building. They lives in, so Dave invited me to come to the dinner. And then when I went, and then you know, I don't want to blame anything on like alcohol or anything like that, but I knew Kanye wasn't supposed to drink, and I seen he had a a a beverage in front of him, and they talk a big big business, you know. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to just cut in and say, "Yo, is that a drink?" I'm already thinking that way, like. No, he knows he's not supposed to drink, taking medicine. So I'm just, you know, sitting back. And then when the energy shifted and I never filmed that, so I seen it on TV and I always thought it, you know, was part of the show, part of what he was, you know, doing to stay popular or whatever. And then find out it was mental health later. I'm like, whoa, I always thought he was just just doing that to be like popular. I didn't know. So that energy and it was like, God was like, no, you don't need to film. This is your brother pay close attention to what's going on. That's why I had to turn the
0: camera off. Last question, which is, Act 3 begins with the scene with Kanye and Rhymefest debating whether Kanye is a genius or not. It's a funny scene. It's a great scene. Then at the end of the film, you, Cootie, say, Thank you, Father God, for blessing us all with your genius. Can you both talk about what genius means to you and why you named the film the way you did? To me, genius is something that somebody excels at
3: far beyond the average person. You know, Everybody to me is born with some sort of genius and it's about figuring out how to untap that genius. To me, the best way to reach it is to follow your passion because anything you're passionate about, once you accept it and acknowledge it and move on it, you're going to put in the hours to foster it in order for you to achieve at it higher than the average person. But a lot of times, especially in our society, you don't have a chance to even sit down and reflect or figure out what your passion is because oftentimes you're just trying to survive. You know what I mean? For this film it was the reason why it was so important to call it genius because it's it, it truly about the blueprint to unlocking that and following it. And we truly believe in order to follow that, you have to have faith because of how hard it is and the obstacles that are going to block you from following it. You need something. To rely on that's greater than yourself to help you navigate this world. This world isn't set it up for you to necessarily achieve your genius. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To not fall into the pitfalls of life that keep you down. We believe that that's what God is for.
2: And the reason why we definitely say God is the genius because God is the genius. When you think about, it, He created us. He created the trees. He created the wind. He created the sun to come up at this time and go down at this time to burn for this long to. For us, it's like, when you understand that, then you can probably tap in closer to your genius because you understand that God is the genius and he gave all of us a gift. When you follow a gift and a purpose, when you realize what that gift and purpose is and you move on it, then you move in on your genius. And genius, you got the Albert Einstein, but then you got the Martin Luther King. Genius don't come with money. Napoleon Hill says, if you can conceive and believe, you can achieve. That's... You movement and your genius
0: you both have certainly ignited your passion you've used your faith to move on your genius and you've created a film that i think certainly deserves to be up there with hoop dreams to original inspiration so congratulations to you both what's up next for you guys
2: the next album is a documentary on a painter ernie barnes if you remember he did the open for Good Times, he did all of the character, J.J.'s paintings and Marvin Gaye, I Want You album cover, and Curtis Mayfield, he had his paintings commissioned by a lot of entertainers like Sylvester Stallone and Swiss Beats and Kanye. I actually documented Mr. Barnes painting Kanye's painting Life Restored. And that's how we created a relationship. We passed in 2009 and we've been documenting his estate ever since just recently. The sugar sack from the good times went up for auction. It started off at 150 to 200,000 and it sold for 15 million.
0: Started in 2009, another long journey for you both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: In about 2003 actually, it started in 2003 when I started documenting him um, his paint, him painting and like the whole
0: process. Thank you guys so much. Best of luck with this film and your future projects. Thank you, Ken. Likewise to you. Do you have a hidden gem film that you don't think gets the attention it deserves?
2: One film that I, that actually started everything that I do that definitely don't get the credit that it deserves but it did inspire me tremendously, was Richard Pryor, Jojo Dancer. That was a movie that inspired me to do comedy, not knowing that Richard Pryor directed, produced, and wrote, and starred in the film, which I knew that because he was in the film, but I didn't know he did the other things. That's one that is a sleeper.
3: I have a sleeper too in the sense of like, probably one of the most unassuming films. When you think of cinema, it's not like some art house film or whatever, but. The Guys Must Be Crazy is a film that I feel like everybody should see. So many points, especially about like capitalism and just there's so much symbolism in it. And I feel like sometimes the comedy of it and the lightness of it can somewhat distract from how deep it is. But I really feel like it's an important piece of work to really help our understanding of like the communication between Western cultures and other cultures.